Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner at Steichman Elliott in the Private Equity and M&A Group. For today's special guest, I'd like to welcome Doyle Burkett. Doyle is the managing partner of Integrity Growth Partners. Integrity Growth is a U.S.-based uh, growth equity firm. Doyle, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Doyle, I, I want to learn a little bit about you, uh, your history. We always like to start to find out a little bit about our guests past uh, and, uh, and then talk a bit about Integrity Growth Partners. So love to learn a little bit more about yourself and the fun. Yeah. Well, just I'll go way, way back. I'll, I'll gloss over some of the stuff from the beginning because um, it's probably not as relevant. But I did grow up in uh, Western Washington, Seattle, Washington. Spent a lot of time in Canada as a, as a child growing up. Um, and so I've always had a place near and dear to my heart and, um, went to college back East and after working a couple of years at an investment banking firm and private equity firm in New York, I moved to Los Angeles, spent 10 years at Aurora Capital Partners, which is a middle market leverage buyout firm. We did almost all control deals there. And then, so that was 00 to 00 to 2009, that decade. And then I took over Kane Anderson's growth equity practice for eight years raised four funds, almost a billion dollars of capital, um, led and oversaw 27 investments in software and tech-enabled business services, and saw a chance to build a different type of firm, which is what we've done here at Integrity Growth Partners, really modeling ourselves after the best and brightest uh, software companies in Silicon Valley and some of the research that comes out of academia on how to build a better uh, place to work and how to uh, really set things up from the beginning. So we are able to basically be simpatico with the companies we're talking to. They see us and they see we are like them as opposed to not like them. You know, we are not these suits across the table, the finance guys, we run our business like they run our business or they run their business. We, we have the same, you know, OKRs that we track. We are focused on software and efficiencies. And so we really speak the same language and we find that that is very helpful as we talk to them about investing in their companies. And we've so far made three investments to date. I can get into that later, but that's kind of the, uh, the overview. We've been around for three years. I left Kane in 20, uh, 2018. We've been operating since then. Uh, my team came over with me from Kane Anderson. They'd all worked with me prior. And it's still the the same team, very cohesive team, and we're really enjoying what we're doing. And Doyle, uh, can I, I mean, Integrity Growth is obviously is a unique mission, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about uh, a bit what we like to say the sweet spot for Integrity Growth, the, uh, what you look for, the size of investments. Uh, what's your thesis, if that's the right word, when you look at something for Integrity Growth? What, what are you focused yes. on? So our sweet spot is first of all, software and tech-enabled business services. So they're using technology to provide a software solution or a service that is solving a key pain point in a large industry with a very discernible ROI. So it can, it's, it's, an easy, it's an easy to get sale, if you will. These businesses are usually bootstrapped, so they've not taken uh, outside capital. They have eschewed the venture capital model, nothing against venture capital, but they've decided to build, you know, kind of grow smart. And these are not raise and burn businesses. So they're usually capital efficient. Most of our businesses are in the, call it 8 million to 25 million of revenue. When we invest, they are founder owned and operated. They have shown, again, the ability to 
grow uh, at a fast pace. We're usually, we say 20% north, but usually it's 30, 40, 50% north. They are sometimes very cash flow positive, sometimes right around break even. And they are at what we look for as a, an inflection point um, or a tipping point, if you will, where they've never taken the capital to supercharge their growth. They know they can continue trucking along at the nice rate of growth they've got, but if they actually took the capital now, they have gotten to a size where they will receive much less dilution, much more value for their business. And that is they can take, you know, the least amount of capital to make the most amount of difference. So oftentimes we're investing, you know, 10 to 30 or 40 millions, it's usually our sweet spot. We've gone as high as 70, you know, as, uh, our lowest is 10 or 15. And the idea is we're going to help them through capital and our know-how and pattern recognition, having you know, done this, you know, 30 times plus at our prior firm and now three times here, uh, help them get to that next stage. And we usually exit together with our management teams. Most of the times it's a sale to a, to a strategic player. Uh, oftentimes these investor or these uh, management team members do not want to go work for a private equity player. And so that leads us to, you know, where we end up coming out, which usually we are a non-control investor. The most of our deals, the founders and uh, owner operators will stay in control and we will be there as their partner and uh, helper to get it, the business to the next stage. And I wanted to ask, I mean, obviously it's a unique uh, offering that you provide integrity growth and, and it's going to ultimately lead us to Canada where I'm about to go. But when you look at where you source your opportunities, um, is there a specific place where you source them? Do you find these are deals that require more uh, relationship building? Do they, is it advisor based? I, I know in Canada, it's always hard to find um, minority deals or uh, companies who are looking for minority interest. So I'm curious where you, where you would say is, is the core element of finding your opportunities. Well, one thing I should clarify, just to be clear, we do make control investments of the three we've done integrity. Two have been non-control, one's control. So we're not afraid of control, but we find our approach to partnership leads itself more to a non-control investor. We don't want to, we're not the group that's going to come in and tell somebody, this is what you have to do. Um, even if we have control, we want to work together. But to get to your specific question, how we, you know, how we find them where we're looking. When I started at Kane, uh, you know, I guess now 11, 12 years ago, we didn't have many people. And so we started focusing on what we referred to at the time as underserved geographies. So these were geographies that had a, robust technology presence. A lot of times they have leading undergraduate institutions, some very large companies, whether those be public or private. And so that gives you the Petri dish for the managers, the, the owners of these companies to spin out of large companies. It gives them the talent pool at universities to hire from. And ideally we'd like to have a dearth of capital, i.e. there's a lot more targets available than there is capital. And so that really, we don't go to Silicon Valley. We don't go to New York. We are based in Los Angeles, but if it wasn't for the fact we were based here, we wouldn't go here. And so that leads us to places. The term we use now is little big cities. And, you know, the one that has been most robust for us since I started doing this, you know, 11, 12 years ago, and it was our most recent deal is Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, there's other places I can cite as well. You know, the Toronto area has been great to us, Alberta. Uh, Ottawa, we've been, you know, all over the place there, but we are looking for 
the places where people spend less time, to your point, it allows us to, in these direct source deals, show these founders, owners, and operators that we are a different type of partner. And that doesn't happen overnight. We want them to see that we're the right partner for them. And we want to see ourselves that, that they're the right partner for us. That's not always going to be the case. And so what we talk about is we need to date before we get engaged, get engaged before we get married. And that doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's the alternative is the, the investment banker approach where you barely get to know them and it's kind of a shotgun wedding. And you have to decide very quickly whether or not you're going to be partnered together. We very much prefer to get in front of these companies and have it be a two-way street. Because just like we want to prove out that, that we feel good about partnering with them, we think it's equally as important that they should prove out that they want to partner with us. Because the last thing we want to do is get into a situation where a few months in or a year in, they're saying, well, I really didn't want to, this is not the group I really thought they were. You've been an active uh, investor, uh, Doyle, in Canada, and have had a history, not just with integrity, but even historically, and you had mentioned it. Yes. So you, you've seen our marketplace for many years. I always find I learn a lot from the way Americans see the Canadian opportunities. And I, I'd love to get your perspective on investing in Canada. And, and then you could obviously take that any way, <laughs> any way you like. But, you know, obviously, we always like to say people in Canada will always say, is it different from the U.S.? Do you find it different? Is it, is it you know, you, you've done multiple deals in Canada over many years. I'm curious what your take is on investing in Canada. I know you've brought a bit about the underserviced nature, but I would love to learn more about the nature of investing in Canada, why you find it attractive and differences that you see from the US. Yeah, I mean, look, the companies I think are largely similar. Um, the one thing I'll say that we're always looking for is, is it a company that has proven out a business model to scale, you know, in, total, in totality, or is it one that to date has only proven it can sell in Canada? Because we sometimes we see some really great businesses, but they've only sold to maybe it's Canadian governments, municipalities, or maybe just, you know, let's say it's in healthcare, it's only sold to healthcare institutions in Canada or only banking institutions in Canada. Those can be a little bit more worrisome to us because the question is, okay, how does it translate across borders? Sometimes it's very easy but sometimes, depending on the industry and the skill set of the team, it's just it can be harder. So, um, by and large, I'd say the companies are the same. You know, most of most of the ones we talk to have you know customers all over the globe, and they're you know not just in in one location. And the thing that I've I and we have really liked to see over the years is, and I know this is a stereotype, but I think it's somewhat well deserved that you know Canadians tend to be to be nicer than Americans. I think the way we see that come about in, in private equity and, and in companies is there isn't as much of an ego and we see more receptivity to going with a group like Integrity Growth Partners. They're not sitting back saying, hey, I need to have, and not to pick on a name here, but I'll just pick the biggest name. You know, they don't, they don't even do what we do, but they don't need to have KKR be their backer. They don't get a lot of uh, psychic profit or, you know, the aura of invincibility around them by telling their friends at the, you know, at the pub or at the hockey game that KKR invested. And so we find that being a smaller player uh, in Canada helps us is more of an advantage than it is here in the U.S. where sometimes people just want the big name. We also think and see from experience that you know, what I just described about that time taking to get to know on both sides and having appreciation for that, that isn't necessarily always what people want here in the U.S. We've created a, uh, I think somewhat of a system where 
it's just kind of more commonplace to have it be very regimented and this is how the process goes. And, you know, there's people that are keeping investors like us from the managers of the companies and they say, okay, just you let us do our job and, and we'll tell you what the best offer is and go from there. That doesn't work as well for us. We're happy to be competitive. We oftentimes are in competitive situations, but we've just found that the messaging of a, <laughs> of, Hey, we're people, the reason we started this and we named the name this way, you know, integrity growth partners, each name's important. Like we operate with integrity, we help people grow and we focus on how we partner. That message of really caring about who we partner with, that life is too short, we could work with anybody, but let's make sure the degree of integrity and quality of character is very high. We find that resonates generally speaking, but I think it, we found that it, invest, it resonates more in Canada. So we think our business model, and I think, from my time at my prior firm and now at Integrity, it shows that, that we show very well. We have a disproportionate number of our deals uh, that I've done in Canada, and it's now a large enough data set that I can say, okay, if you look at, you know, 100 deals, we should probably only have maybe 10% of them at most in Canada. Well, we've got a lot more than that. It's, all, it's basically double that, if not higher. It's more like a quarter of our deals, so... And can I ask you, though, I mean, some people say, you know, uh, Americans like to invest in Canada because deals are cheaper or there's a kind of a, <laughs> a structural weakness in the market in Canada because, you know, a lot of Canadian companies don't have access to the U.S. market. And so they're they're kind of behind the ball, if you want to put it that way, or missing something that the U.S. company in a, in a more, uh, you know, entrepreneurial and, and uh uh, aggressive marketplace you kind of you know so is it do you find pricing different in canada i mean that's that's one of the big things people say here is uh U u.s investors like canada because it's um it's you know better price point uh you know a lot of the companies haven't had some of the element that some of the u.s companies have where there's just more competition you know it's more intense uh, in terms of yeah. building out the company well, I mean, I, so the one we just invested in, ScalePad, um, and I can't, we didn't disclose the size or, or, or the multiple or anything like that, but I can tell you that it's a management team founders that have started many, many businesses in the managed service provider space. And they talked to dozens of firms. And so it was absolutely competitive. It wasn't a classic, there wasn't a banker hired, but they had somebody as an advisor. Um, and whether it be that company, which I think at the time, you know, it was our highest multiple of revenue. So it was far from our cheapest price. It was actually, I think our it is our highest to date. Um, that wasn't the case there. We've talked to, we're talking to another one right now in uh, Nova Scotia that is, could very well be our next deal. And that would, that hot price would even be higher than the one we just closed. And so my view and our view here is we're not looking to pull the wool over on anybody's eyes or having this arbitrage of like, hey, something is not as valuable because it's located in X location versus Y location. We look and say business is valuable from what it what its metrics are and the team. And so whether that be in Canada or in, you know, New York City or in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Iowa, where my dad's from we actually don't think that there's different values to those businesses. What we do see is more on the company side that it's likely in a, I'll pick on Silicon Valley, that those people are going to only be looking, not only, mostly be looking for the biggest name firm and care most about the price. And one thing I should mention here is it's key on our growth, how we come about investing from growth. 
most of our capital is going to grow these businesses. So they're not selling uh, many or any, in some cases, shares. It's just, it's new, it's primary capital. So in many instances, the founders don't really, they're not focused as much on the value now. They're focused on the value later on what, who can get them the higher value. And the quick example I give is, let's say it's a business just to make the simple math. If, if we're talking about a $40 million valuation versus a $50 million valuation, that's a, you know, that's a 10 or 20% difference, right? But if they're only issuing new shares, the dilution to them is relatively, you know, relatively small. Let's say we we're just making a 10% investment. They go from owning, you know, 100% to owning 80%. They care much more about whether that business is going to, if we can help them get to 200 million versus somebody else that might get them to 150 million. And the difference in terms of valuation between 40 and 50 ends up being not the thing that they're most focused on. They're truly focused on, hey, is this the right partner? Who's going to get me to the next stage? And that's independent of, you know, Canada or anywhere. It's just kind of a byproduct of what we, of how we invest. But to get to your specific question, we don't look at Canada as cheaper, less expensive. In fact, I can tell you right now in our most recent data points, they've been, it's been as pricey as anything else we've, we've seen. So I, I, I have to ask you the, I ask everyone the, what I call the crystal ball question, which is uh, your perspective on the marketplace. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a dynamic market, you know, people talk about robust. I mean, you've heard all these words about all that's going on out there now. I wonder how that translates for you. And also given your experience, you've been a deal maker for many, many years. Uh, you know, uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic and yet a lot of activity. It seems like it's not slowing down. I want to get your perspective on where you see, where you see this market at and where you see it going. Yeah. I mean, look, I wish I did have the crystal ball, but I'll give you what we talk about internally a lot is that in some ways, I think we are in an environment that a rising tide raises all ships. And so I think some companies that are not great, and I'm going to focus just on software for now, because that's what we do, software and, and tech, that some companies are able to sneak under that umbrella of software and tech and receive those higher valuations. I think the higher valuations that we're seeing are justified right now, as much as it pains me to, to say it, because the pandemic has shown that businesses, which we usually do B2B software, but we'll do B2C, but businesses needed to be more open to and faster to, ad to adopt technology and software. And so you're seeing that in the resiliency and the growth of these SaaS businesses. And that's led to these to the valuations going up, it's led to insert name here, pick any large worldwide buyout firm that's known, you know, Blackstone and uh, Apollo and Aries, they're all raising these huge tech focused funds because they can't ignore it anymore. Now they're way up market from where we are. But I think that is not changing. That saying that software is here, it's valuable, these recurring revenue businesses are valuable. That is finally everybody's coming to the party. So I do think valuations are at a, a high level, and I think that's that's justified. Can I guarantee whether they'll stay there or there'll be some up and downs? No, I do think there are some businesses, like what I was getting to earlier, that sneak in under that uh, umbrella and don't necessarily justify it. And so sometimes, you know, you see, you get while well, the getting's good if somebody can sell for a real high price right now because it's viewed as, you know, kind of a must-have software and it's not must-have that'll show, you know, maybe later, but long story short, what I, what I view is happening is 
I think an accurate assessment that software businesses are very valuable. They have predictable growth. They have faster growth than they used to because people realized during the pandemic that they needed to use all these various softwares and technologies to make things better. And so we think that will continue to happen. And it will, although they are high historically, it's a little bit of the inverse, like you see in the interest rates out there for housing. Like we've been in historically low interest rates for now, you know, a couple decades. I think we are in a scenario where we're probably going to be in these higher revenue multiples for these growth businesses for a period of time. Will that change eventually? Yes, it probably, it probably will. Um, but we like what we're seeing. We like what we're seeing from, you know, opportunities to exit our businesses. We still like what we're seeing in terms of from an entrance perspective, because at, even though they're high multiples, the growth and margins can, can justify it. So I see our segment of the world continuing to be quite strong for, you know, several years now. Is it going to be as strong in five years as it is now? I can't tell you that, but that's in a nutshell what I look at it for our, for our uh, crystal ball. So I want to thank you for, for joining us today. It's been uh, super insightful and, and you know, not only learning about integrity growth and, and the opportunities, but uh, as a Canadian, we, uh, we love to hear stories about uh, uh, U.S. investors who find Canada interesting. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, look, uh, I, have, I have a lot of reasons why I want you to do more deals. <laughs> well, look, we want, we want to do more deals. The, one of the biggest challenges has been the, uh, the lack of being able to get across the border. But that's, that's freeing up a little bit, which is good. Because like I said, so much of our time is, is, is important of spending it with these management teams and, vice, and we want them to spend time with us. So having a closed border during part of COVID proved to be a challenge, but we, we overcame it. <laughs> well, thank you. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks again. All right, thanks a lot, Mark.